questions. Coach, it's a high school football team. We're not the Marines here. Let's go. Let's go. Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together, Right now, on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll learn to play this game like men. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Journey. My name is Randy, and uh, that was the scene from the movie Remember the Titan, and it kind of brings us into our topic today. We are uh, in a three-week series. We're half right in the middle way, uh, a series called Woke, and uh, I don't know about you, but since I've been studying this and uh, since we titled this, I hear that word a lot more often, sometimes positive, sometimes not so positive, uh, but in our context, we're looking, at a, we're looking at it in a positive way, and we're looking uh, and it's specifically to be aware of the problem of racism in our world today. And uh, we talked about how uh, God views it, and we're going to look closely today, and how we as Christians should view it as well. And if you're here last week, we began this series, and we talked about race itself. Uh, how do we get different races? Where do, they come, where, where do uh, these different groups come from? And we came up with five points. We shared them. First of all, we said that we're all created by the same God that God made every one of us in His image of God. There's many ethnicities, but there's really only one human race. Secondly, we acknowledge that we're all equally loved by God, that we're all made in the image of God, and we have a soul that God gives to us and a soul that God calls back to Himself. 
And while we're all different on the inside, regardless of the outside, sometimes we truly are different on the outside as well. And that too is a design by God to create diversity and creativity of His creation. And we said we also, that we all have the same original parents, Adam and Eve, and we gave a very uh, detailed explanation of why there are different skin tints, and you'll have to go back and look at the video for a little more information on that. I cannot repeat all that. And then thirdly, we said that we're all equally welcome to come to God through Christ, that we are loved by God, that God calls us to Himself, and read the Scripture in Galatians chapter 3, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And we just talked about the fact that while we're different, that God calls us to Himself through Christ, that we are made one through Christ. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And then fourthly, we said that we're going to be all equally celebrated in heaven. And we read a part of the vision in Revelation chapter 7 of the Apostle John. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That beautiful vision of all of us standing together, and we said the last thing we would think about was what we looked like on the outside, but we would be worshiping the Lord. And then the fifth thing we noted is that the Bible calls us to love the world like Jesus does. If God has this kind of love for us, then we are called to love one another in a very similar way. And we talked about the fact that while we all have different um, skin on the outside, maybe that we are all come together, one in, especially in Christ, and as believers that we are clothed in Christ. And when we see each other, we need to be seeing Christ in one another, not what we look like on the outside. And so that kind of catches you up a little bit where we were last week. And today we're going to be talking about racism itself. We're going to talk about the evil of racism and the reality of racism in our world today. And we just said last week that because you and I may not personally experience that, there are people that we know, people that we love and that we trust who assure us that it really is true. And the fact that it undermines and destroys the very nature of God's creation. And you know, in our world today, racism is a term, an accusation that's thrown around all over the place by every side, in society, in politics, on a national level, on a local level. We even hear it every now and then here in, in our little town. And be, to be sure, it is real. It is a very real thing in our world today, and many people are hurt by it. But we also have to admit that the word is not always very understood. It many times has been misused and has also been weaponized to attack someone. And so I want to kick off our time together and looking at this topic by just asking the question, what is racism? What is racism? Racism is the belief in the superiority of one race over another. It's a belief in the superiority of one race over another, and it's not just a belief, because like all beliefs, it translates into action. It leads to racial prejudice, bigotry, and discrimination against other people based on their race or their ethnicity. And you know, not just in our current time, but if you look back over history, there have been millions of people who have suffered and died because of racism. And it is, a, very appropriately, it is a crime. But we think back in, uh, in the 30s and 40s uh, during uh, the time of Nazi Germany and the Jews who were um, discriminated against and racism then tried to eradicate their, their very race. Millions of people have suffered and died. Not only is it a crime, but it also is a sin, and that's kind of where we're direct, directing our thoughts in this study, 
Racism is a direct affront to a, a holy God, and it's an insult to the entire human family. It runs counter to everything that the gospel stands for and represents, and Christians, therefore, should always be vehemently opposing it. Never should we be ambivalent about it, and never ever should we be, obviously, uh, showing racist attitudes or tendencies ourselves. So in this study, I've had a chance to sit down with uh, some of my African-American friends, brothers and sisters, and share with them. And what I, I enjoyed that so much is, I have to admit, i uh, kind of embarrassed. It's not something that I'd ever done before, uh, being very specific. And they were so generous and so kind, but they were also very honest about how they've experienced racism and discrimination in their own lives, things that most of us have never, ever thought about, things we've never had to fear uh, or experience in any way. For example, most of us have never, ever in, had to endure being called a racial slur of some sort. Most of us have never been a victim of racial profiling. Most of us have never been pulled over in our car for doing nothing wrong because we were in a certain car or because we had a certain color. Most of us have never had to educate our children when they become young drivers uh, about how to be especially careful if they're pulled over because they're profiled. Nor have we ever had to hear unfair criticism of our race regarding crime statistics or, or told that there are certain stereotypes of our, our race. In fact, one of my white friends actually told me that his three adopted African-American grandchildren were not allowed to wear hoodies where their white siblings were allowed to do so. You know, we all think about that, and while they don't affect us directly, we have to admit all of that. We can all agree that's wrong in so many levels. And it's kind of interesting that racism is wrong. That's one of the few things that most Americans agree on. We have a lot we disagree on today, but almost all Americans will agree on that. And I would say that everybody in this room today would probably condemn racism in every form. You would probably say that you are not racist against anyone, against black people, against Hispanics, Asians, people from the Midwest, Jews, any other ethnic group. You would probably condemn the KKK and Nazi Germany and segregation and white supremacists and mistreatment of immigrants. You would be against all of those things. And in fact, you would probably say that you don't have a racist bone in your body. But what if it doesn't have to do with the racist bone? What if it has to do with re ways that we react and things that we do whenever we give in to racist ideas, racist feelings, reactions, and choices? And in reality, I think that all of us, in a subtle way, all of us are racist at certain times in our life because we don't always respond well to people who are different from us. And these feelings oftentimes come when we're confronted with people or when we feel like that we're personally attacked or that we're being threatened in some way. Now, when we talk about racism, we're not talking about specifically the racism of the Civil War era or of the Jim Crow era as well. And, and part of it, what we just need to be is uh, kind of educated. Because I have to be honest, I had a vague idea of what the Jim Crow laws were, but, but not a lot. And the Jim Crow laws basically were laws that were state and local ordinances that were enforced or enforced racial segregation and discrimination in the southern U.S. for several years. They, most of them were made back in the late 19th century and early 20th century, and they were basically enforced until 1965 or so. These are the ones that there were certain people were ordered to set in the back of the bus, blacks in the back, a white and, and black a water fountain, bathrooms. Those were all Jim, Lo, Jim Crow laws that were set up, and they were extremely uh, uh, discriminating against uh, certain groups. 
Now, we don't have that today, but, but today we have a much more subtle storm, form of racism in our world. In fact, we're going to kind of call it shadow racism uh, because it's not blatant, but it, but it really is out there. And it's really kind of hard for us sometimes to put our finger on it. So I'm going to talk about some ways that we practice racism today or ways it is practiced that, that are not as obvious, but they're very real. For example, one of them is in employment, in employment. Let's just say that you're hiring people and you're looking at several different resumes and there aren't any pictures there. They're just education, experience, and credentials. And you look across the board and they look to be pretty, pretty equal uh, as far as qualified people. Uh, you're white and some of the names that you're looking at, however, do not seem to be white names. Now, who are you going to call for the interview? Do you primarily make assessment of somebody's worth, value, capability, likability based on what their name is because you think they might be of a certain ethnicity? Do you think that a certain ethnicity can do the job better than others? And let me just say this runs across all the borders and all the lines. Maybe you saw a few weeks ago, Representative Rashada Taleb recently told Detroit's chief of police, James Craig, that he should only hire black people as analysts to run their facial recognition software because she claimed non-black people think they all look alike. Now, she told James Craig that, who is, by the way, he is African-American, but he didn't go for that suggestion. He said, you know what? I trust people who are trained regardless of their race, regardless of their gender. Now, that sort of attitude, though, is shadow racism, that someone can do the job better, so we look to certain people or races to do it. Here's another example that might be even, uh, you know, more stronger feelings about is dating and marriage. You see an interracial couple together. How do you feel about that? Do you feel good? Do you feel bad? Do you feel indifferent about that? You know, a few years ago, I had an African-American mother that I was good friends with called me up to tell me that her son had gotten engaged to a white girl. And she asked me, how do you feel about that? Now, I knew both of them, and I thought it was a good thing, and I, I told her that, but she did not feel good about that. She assumed I would feel the same way and would sympathize with her on that issue. The reality is, in, in our world, that some people of all ethnicities struggle with interracial relationships, but there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with interracial, interracial relationships and marriage. In fact, in God's eyes, it's two people that He created as human beings for relationships with Him and with other people and connected them together. Now, do you want proof of that in the Bible? You say, well, maybe that's your opinion. What does the Bible have to say about it? And it really does speak to that. In fact, one of the best-known leaders in the Old Testament was a Jewish man who was married seemingly to a black woman. Her name was Zipporah. Now, I don't know if you know who that is. We'll talk, I'll tell you in a moment. But the marriage was met with racism and prejudice. And in fact, this guy's own brother and sister led a rebellion against him. Now, maybe you're wondering who the guy is, and I got a picture of him up here. It really wasn't Charleston Heston, but it was the guy he was playing on TV, and that was Moses. Moses was the guy that we're talking about. Moses was married to a woman named Zipporah, and she was actually from the land of Cush which is modern-day Ethiopia, and so obviously she was an Afri she's an African-American woman. This also reminds us that Jethro, who was her father, uh, was an advisor uh, to Moses in this whole process. So it's kind of interesting how that comes together. And so Miriam and Aaron, who were brother and sister 
of Moses began to oppose him. And here's what it says in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. So God calls them out into public. He's going to deal with this issue in a public way. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from among the tent, above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. So here was the problem. Here was the racism that came out and the jealousy is long, well with that. And, and God spoke to it. And God told Miriam, you want to be white? You think white's better? Then I'll make you white. And he gave her leprosy, which was a skin condition where their, their skin turned white and, and flaked off. And she became the outcast. In her racism, God made her an outcast. Now, I think it's pretty clear how God views interracial marriage just from this one story. And in fact, the only limits that God puts on marriage is that believers marry only believers. So it would be better that to marry a believer of any color than a godless person of our own color. That's what the Bible teaches very clearly. Now, how else do we see shadow racism? Another way, I think, are in assumptions and stereotypes. Assumptions and stereotypes, that we have this idea in our mind about certain groups of people. I read the news story of four black high school students who were going door-to-door selling, uh, doing fundraising for their football team. And they went to a home of a white lady. She came out with a gun, forced them onto the ground with their hands behind their back and called the police officer. And her justification was that this is a white neighborhood. Thankfully, she faces felony charges of aggravated assault and, and false imprisonment. But you know what? Unfortunately, we hear things like that a lot. People assuming things that are not true. People assuming that uh, Hispanics are illegal or posting memes that are racial slurs or insulting to a certain ethnicity. And we all have those things. If we don't fight against them, they can creep in. For example, what are your assumptions or stereotypes about other people? What are your stereotypes about African-Americans? What are your stereotypes about Latinos or about Asians or about Indians or Mideasterners? or old white men, or women drivers, or northerners, or people from Kentucky. I threw those last ones in there so that you could go, oh, I guess people have stereotypes about everybody, right? We all have those things that come up that aren't true, but we can stereotype people erroneously. Nor should we also use our freedom, the freedom that we have to speak freely and uh, freedom of speech to intentionally offend somebody. You know, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. By the way, we're going to talk about civility next week in a general way, but also a little specific, but generally as well. And you need to be here. Uh, you need to hear this. We all need to hear this, all right? 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of others. Guys, if we are truly seeking the good of others, then we would not hurt them. We would not offend them by using our freedom that we can claim to have or that we do have. We just would not do that. There's one last area that I think that many times where shadow racism can show itself up, and that is in family life, in family's life. Here's the conclusion I've come to, is that racists are not born, they are made, they are taught. And that's on all sides. I believe that to be true. But what kind of messages are you sending to your children, and what kind of viewpoints are you imparting into those, them on a, on a daily basis? Are you teaching them that some people are better or worse than other people? Are you teaching them not to see color? Someone told me that, that they were raised in that way, and it, and it has influenced their lives. In fact, they were disappointed to discover that other people didn't feel that way. You know, the, the closest thing I knew to, 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 to ask about this was our own children, our kids. We have four that are grown. And I would have to say that I don't believe that our kids have any prejudice. I don't think that they see color at all. And I would like to say, you know what? We did that. Lori and I did that, and we were intentional, but we really were not intentional. Maybe not as much as we should have, but, but they don't have any bias. Any bias that we might have had or generations before us does not seem to have impacted our kids. And so I did the old family text, you know, survey, and I asked them, tell me about this, why you guys are so open and seemingly don't have any, any feelings or bias. And they shared that one of the things they said was, we believe that being exposed to missions had helped open their eyes about race. Maybe the work that we've done in Haiti, the, our concern for the people of all colors, that, that our kids picked up on that. And I mentioned the word colorblind to them, but they said, you know, we don't think it's blindness. We think it's a special sight that, that doesn't just prevent racism, but values other people as well. You know, obviously there are differences in people, but we need, to, we need to learn about other cultures and learn to recognize the strength, traditions in other people, and also the areas that, that certain groups are treated unfairly, to be aware of that, just to acknowledge that so that we can hopefully compensate or, or prevent or, or repair that. You know, we came to Versailles over 22 years ago. We came from an area that had almost zero diversity in race. We really did, and we were really glad to come to an area where that there's a lot of peace and harmony, and, and we, uh, we are blessed with wonderful and diverse people in our lives. Let me just say this, we can all do better, we can always do better, but we live in an awesome place. And I think part of that is just allowing people into our lives, allowing them to be friends and making friends of people who are different from us. I was reading a study that done by the Public Religious Research Institute and they said in these certain scenarios, they had run about friendships and what friend, uh, what, how peace of people collected their friends, that in a 100-friend scenario, that white people had just one black friend, one Hispanic friend, and one Asian friend, and the other 97 were white in a 100-friend scenario. Black people didn't do much better. They had eight white friends, two Hispanic friends, and no Asian friends. Maybe it would do good for us to ask, how many people do I have who are friends of different ethnicities or what we might call a different race? 
What is the answer to all this? Well, obviously, we can't solve this problem, but I am happy to say I think it can start with us. It can start with the church. It can start with the church because the church is to be the change instrument, the change movement in our culture. And it can also start with personal and corporate repentance whenever and wherever it's necessary. That every one of us need to search our hearts and ask ourselves the hard questions. And we need to be humble enough to repent wherever we have been wrong. See, racism can flow in every direction, not just white to blacks, but blacks toward whites, Latinos toward Asians, whites toward Latinos. It can be every, every race. And we mentioned several others last, last week. Whenever racism rears its ugly head, whether it's blatant or whether it's in a shadow form, we need to be the ones to speak up. We need to, if we see it in our own lives, we need to repent. If we see it in others, we need to confront it. Because as followers of Christ, we are the hope of the world. And we are the ones who need to be modeling repentance, acceptance, and also this new community that we talked about last week, the one that God wants us to be a part of. In fact, here's what the Bible says about this and other sins that we have in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church could lead in a time of repentance that would lead to forgiveness and healing of our land from this, this plague of racism? It start with, starts with us. You know, I said last week that nine out of ten churches are almost entirely of one race. Sunday morning is a very segregated time of the week. And we're fortunate that we have a, a greater diversity than that. Not huge and not as much as I think we should have in reflection of our community, but we can model something that many churches never have a chance to model, real unity along with diversity. Now, how can we do that? Well, here's some things that we can do. Number one, we can hold each other accountable. We can hold each other accountable, which we should do on many levels. But if you hear or see something that's racist, whether it's a comment or joke, deal with it, confront it. Don't let it go. Because we are better than that. We should be better than that. Sometimes we can be oblivious to our words and how they hurt people, but, uh, but whatever we, we may do, we need someone to come along and say, hey, I don't think that was appropriate. It certainly wasn't helpful. Again, we'll address this next week when we talk about civility. Secondly, we need to educate each other, to educate each other. If you see or hear something, first of all, think the best. Don't assume the worst, but, but educate yourself and others about the impact that, that that might have on somebody else. If you see a symbol of some sort that, that could offend someone, I, I think about a Confederate flag. It has little meaning to me personally, none. But for some people, it's deeply offensive. It's a sign uh, of slavery in the past. Some other symbol that offends, just mention the fact that maybe it's not the best thing. You know, if there's something else, I was reading the other day about the, we put our, our forefinger and, and thumb together, the okay sign. For some people, it is actually used as a sign of white power. It's discriminatory. You know, I, I don't understand all the symbolism of everything that can hurt. Some things may seem ridiculous, but I can avoid those things if it offends somebody and hurts somebody else. I have no problem with that. But on the other hand, also, don't let offense be your first reaction. Don't get offended about everything. There are three things that we all bring to the table, baggage, ignorance, and fear. We all have those things in some measure, and we're going to bring them into our relationships, and we're going to say things that we don't know about, and we're going to experience things that, that the person couldn't possibly know about, and we're going to fear about how something's going to impact us.
The third thing I would suggest is intentionally build some relationship with people who are different from you. Get out of your comfort zone. Don't just lock yourself to the same people here. Let me just say this. On Sunday morning is a great time to do that. What I've noticed is that we all tend to gravitate to the same people we talk to every week. Don't do that. Get out of your comfort zone. We have people here who are are diverse in, in color and background, but also people that you don't know. Start those relationships. Start a conversation with people. And if there's a difference in color, start a conversation about race and show some interest in their culture. Acknowledge that all of us are different, but desire to unite and get to know each other. Some people are better than that, at that than others. Let me give you an example. Our son, Kyle, he has a gift with people, literally. He, he has a gift with people that are different from him. He loves international people. And he has friends all over the world in many, many different countries. When I was writing this, I was back and forth. I bounced a lot of ideas off him. And, and uh, he lived in South Korea for, for several years. Now he lives in Hong Kong. But when I wrote this, he was vacationing in Thailand. And so he began to talk about, you know, what they were experiencing in Thailand, the people he was meeting. Dad, I met this Indian tailor. He's a super guy. He's making me some shirts. It just blows my mind. I can't even think about somebody making shirts for me, but Kyle met a tailor making shirts for him. He also met a, a guy from Kashmir, a Kashmiri shop owner. I'm not sure where Kashmir is, but had a relationship with this guy. They had a conversation about a restaurant that Kyle's insisting this guy should open and cooking uh, Indian food. Um, he has friends who are Hindu, who are Muslim, who are Buddhist, all those different people. Now, that is not me. I'm not going to go to Thailand for a vacation more than likely. But you know what? All of us need to get out of our ruts and the people that we know and, and expand our horizon a little bit. We can reach beyond ourselves. We don't have to walk on eggshells around people who are different than us. A little bit of interest, a little bit of acceptance, uh, and a conversation would go a long, long way. And what I've discovered is that people who are different from us, most of them are more than willing to talk, to talk about their differences, to talk about what, what culture is like for them, and opens doors. And then fifthly, those of us who, who may be in the minority, help us. Help us. If you know that we don't get it, be patient and long-suffering and forgiving and get, you know, get involved in our lives. And I would say that in our church life as well. We would love to have minorities involved in every aspect of our church, involved in serving, in leading, and and deacons and elders. We'd love that. We want to reach our whole community. I believe that would equip us to be a little more uh, available to touch the different people that will come in contact around around us And, and to be Jesus to them and to help build this new community where everyone's accepted and loved equally. And then there's one last thing we all need to do before we wrap up, and that is to forgive. Forgive one another. Because as believers, we have to learn to not only forbear one another, but forgive one another as well. It's what makes people come together. You know, nowhere was um, racism more prevalent than in South Africa during the days of apartheid. But it took a turn in the late 80s, led by a man named Nelson Mandela. Mandela was a uh, kind of a rebel leader, I guess. He rebelled against the government, led a a revolution against them, was arrested, finally sentenced to life in prison. And you would think, well, his life was pretty much over. He would probably be beat up there, or his spirit would be broken, or he'd be killed in prison. But in prison, uh, Nelson Mandela watched a Billy Graham crusade on TV, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
1988, he extended an invitation from the jail to the government, I think this is interesting, to negotiate an end to apartheid. The prisoner is negotiating with the president, and they talked, and it worked out, and, and he was set free. Life sentence was commuted. In 1994, he was elected president of South Africa. Isn't that amazing what he could do? Desmond Tutu, who was an Anglican archbishop, explained that had Nelson Mandela not been willing to forgive, he would have not even reached first base. Isn't that interesting? That here was a man, no doubt as a young man, full of hatred. And, and, and because of what he had been through, what he had seen, it was horrible there. But he gave his life to Christ, and he was able to forgive and not hate. In fact, that's what he called it, a refusal to hate. But without his acceptance of Jesus, that refusal of hate would never have taken root in his life. Because it's only in Christ that we can love one another, overlook offenses that are, are made against us, and forgive people like Jesus did. And so he truly is the answer to the problems that we have, this problem as well as every other one, but this one specifically today. And today in the study, I hope that your eyes are opened more as mine have been, and that maybe more than anything, we can just see people like, like God sees them, people who are in need of a Savior, people who are lost and hurting that we can reach out to, that we don't need to even have an opinion about their lives. They just know that they need Jesus like we all. And this morning, I want to challenge you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord, the one who could transform your life and your heart in this way, I would love to have that conversation with you. I'll be down here in just a few moments if you want to talk. But right now, we're going to segue to a time of communion, a time that we celebrate the one who left heaven, who came to the earth to reconcile all mankind to the Father and to show us how it's done. And he did that by stretching out his arms and dying on the cross. And so if you're here today, as we do every Lord's Day, we invite you to come and to share with us in our time of communion. And we do that in a responsive way. We just ask that you step forward to the tables that are set here before you. And it's a chance for us to be able to reflect, spend a few moments of time in preparation to examine ourselves, and then to take the bread and the cup as a memory uh, in remembrance of Jesus, His broken body and His shed blood on the cross. And we invite you as a believer to join us in that. If you prefer to stay where you are, just raise your hands and one of our deacons in the back will bring that to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we are, um, we're struck with your love for us, your intense love and your patience, God. And certainly we must disappoint you when we, when we hate our brother, we discriminate against one another over minor things. When God, you can see no difference in us, that we all stand in need. And God, when, when you love us so much, Lord, I pray that as we now take of these emblems, that we would experience your love, be reminded of it in a fresh way, or what Jesus has done for us, Lord. Would you bless this bread and this juice as we partake, and we pray in Christ's name, amen.